Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, it has been a month since our last episode on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And in this period of time, quite a number of events has taken place. The escalation has continued and has thus far resulted in the deaths of around 1,400 people in Israel and over 10,000 in the Gaza Strip. As of late, some 650 trucks with humanitarian aid have entered Gaza since October the 21st through the Rafah checkpoint and about 50,000 citizens of the Gaza Strip have been moved from the north to the south of the enclave as Hamas has lost control in the north of Gaza, according to the Israeli Defense Force. The number of attacks of US bases in Iraq and Syria since October the 17th has grown to 41. Now, more recently this week, on Monday the 6th of November, South Africa and Chad joined another seven countries that have pulled their ambassadors from Israel, thus demonstrating their condemnation of Israel's humanitarian crimes. Furthermore, South Africa's ruling party, the African National Congress, have also called for the Israeli ambassador to South Africa to leave the country. On Tuesday, the 7th of November, South Africa's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Naledi Pandor, proposed a seven-point peace plan to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And this plan included an immediate comprehensive ceasefire and the complete opening of humanitarian corridors. Now, apart from that, Pando said that a zone free of nuclear weapons should be established in the Middle East and Palestine and Israel should resume dialogue, adding that a rapid reaction force of the United Nations should be deployed in Palestine in order to observe the ceasefire and protect civilians. Now, is this peace plan even feasible and can Africa make a difference in this conflict? To take a closer look at this issue, I'm joined by Mika Takisu Kubai, who is a research fellow at the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation. He is busy with a doctor's candidate paper in political studies in the Department of Politics and International Relations at the University of Johannesburg. Now, before speaking to Mr. Kubai, I'd just like for everyone to get some background on what exactly South Africa's Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation said. So let's just listen in on the seven-point peace plan for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The facts that have been released detailing the devastation of the current conflict are horrendous. Over a thousand Palestinians are dead, thousands injured public facilities destroyed, and cruel and wanton bombardment is ongoing. Therefore, as South Africa, we remain steadfast in calling for an immediate comprehensive ceasefire, the full as well as complete opening of all humanitarian corridors to ensure much-needed aid and basic services reach those in need. Madam Chairperson, the actions that we are witnessing daily by Israel are a violation of international law, including the United Nations Charter, the Geneva Convention, and all its protocols. In its attacks on and kidnapping of innocent civilians, Hamas has also violated international law. While we express horror at the violence, it is critical that we acknowledge that the illegal occupation of Palestine by Israel for several decades has led to bitter hatred and increased violence, and that this violence is not the first violence the people of Palestine have experienced. It has been going on for decades and decades and decades. 
And nothing we can say will obliterate that fact. However, chairperson, the murder of children, of women, and the aged by Israel is an act that should have resulted in the International Criminal Court issuing an immediate arrest warrant for key decision makers, including Mr. Netanyahu, who is responsible for violations of international criminal law. Madam Chairperson and Honorable Members, it's important to stress that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict can only be solved through the establishment of two states, Palestine and Israel, living side by side in peace. The Palestinian state should be created along the lines of the 1967 border with East Jerusalem as its capital and in line with standing multiple UN resolutions. For this two-state solution to materialize, a peace process initiated by the United Nations needs to commence urgently. We are aware that increasing settlements and illegal occupation have been used to make the creation of a Palestinian state almost impossible. The world must reject the Bantustan-type balkanization that has increased bitterness and hatred. We must reinforce all efforts aimed at creating two states. Madam Chair and Honorable Members, the collective punishment that Israel is exacting on all Palestinian people is an affront that has gone on for too long. The world has expressed horror at these affronts, but has not acted effectively to save Palestinian lives. Sadly, even here in our own country, there are many who choose to turn a blind eye to these atrocities. On 27 October this year, our country was among more than two-thirds of the member states of the United Nations that called for an immediate ceasefire in the General Assembly. This decision of the General Assembly has been ignored. It is impossible for us to continue to proclaim the importance of international law and the importance of the UN Charter for some situations and not for others, as if the rule of law only applies to a select few. For international law to be credible, it should be uniformly applied and not be selective. Let us be clear. Let's start talk a little bit about members. logistical issues. Let uh, us be clear, me, honor, honorable members. members. Israel is an occupying power uh, confirmed honor, by the International Court of website honorable. everybody needs a visa there are no honorable honorable minister sorry about that uh i think could you please remove uh, long? this is the third time sorry. this honorable member has done this honorable papa just wanted to raise an issue which the previous presiding officer raised members who when we are in the sitting they are busy with other things i think that issue is very serious and it's not uh it's not uh, a matter which uh, is, you can laugh about, as uh, Dr. Andros is trying to do. It's a serious matter. And Thank it affects all the political parties, by the way. Thank you, Honorable Member. It's noted. You may proceed, Honorable Minister. Chairperson, it's important that we should be clear on, on facts. Israel is an occupying power. This was confirmed by the International Court of Justice as well as the United Nations. As an occupying power... 
Israel can use tools applicable to the rule of law, including policing powers, to deal with criminal actions in the area it occupies. An occupying state cannot exercise control over territory it occupies and simultaneously attack that territory on the claim that it is foreign and poses an exogenous national security threat. The notion of Israel's right to defend itself through military means has been used erroneously in international law by many and deliberately by others to justify the unlawful use of force by Israel on the people of Palestine in Gaza and the West Bank. The crime of genocide sadly looms large in the current situation in Gaza. We recall that in 1994, a genocide occurred on the African continent with much of the whole world watching as innocent people were massacred. During the Second World War, innocent people were massacred and placed under siege. In response, at the end of the war, an international system was created, including the establishment of the United Nations. Human rights instruments and judicial mechanisms were also established so that history would not repeat such cruelty. However, the selective application of these international instruments and the utilization of some of the mechanisms for attaining narrow interests has resulted in calling to question the effectiveness of the system. It is a system that has failed the people of Gaza as it did in 1994 for the people of Rwanda and later of Bosnia. What is needed now more than ever before is reform of the system of global governance so that it is fair, equitable, and has the capacity to respond to the needs of all persons in situations of threat and harm. The system that is needed should not just be a tool for the most powerful countries of the world, but one that provides protection for the most vulnerable. The inadequacy of the UN Security Council, which we've pointed to many times, a council that has a mandate derived from the UN Charter for the maintenance of international peace and security, has become a glaring fault in the international system. The Security Council, due to aggravated politicization, has not at the very least been able to call for a humanitarian ceasefire to allow for much-needed humanitarian supplies to go to those that need it most. This once, once again illustrates the urgent need for the reform of this body. Chairperson, many of us feel helpless looking at the images of the suffering children and other innocent civilians as they are battered. As South Africans, we need to raise our voices and call for the following concrete actions to end the suffering. One, an immediate comprehensive ceasefire. Two, the opening of humanitarian corridors so that aid and other basic services reach all in need. Three, all parties to exercise restraint and to desist from fueling this patently unjust war and human suffering, including by seizing the supplying of weapons to the various parties. Four, the release of all civilian hostages. Five, in light of statements on the use of nuclear power, the establishment of a Middle East nuclear weapons-free zone, just as we have created on our continent, Africa. 
Six, the resumption of a comprehensive dialogue led and owned by Palestinians and Israelis themselves and facilitated by the United Nations. And seven, the deployment of a UN rapid deployment force in Palestine mandated to monitor the implementation of a ceasefire, cessation of hostilities, and most importantly, to protect civilians. Chairperson, honorable members, our common humanity dictates that all human lives matter and the time for the international community to stand together and act is now. We who enjoy the freedom from apartheid can never, ever be the ones who agree to an apartheid form of oppression. And it is not merely ourselves who are saying this. It is international organizations that have done research on torture, imprisonment, killing, and who previously, when reporting on other matters, are regarded as credible. But when it comes to Israel, their reports are not accepted. This cannot be tolerated. This brutality should not be accepted. We must call for a ceasefire now as honorable members of the House of South Africa. All right, Mr. Kubai, welcome to AfroVerdict. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Now that we've heard Minister Pandor's seven-point peace plan, how effective do you think it will be in resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Well, I don't know how effective it's going to be. But what I do know, you know, is that uh, it's a step in the correct direction. The step in the correct direction for the following reasons. You've had uh, several stakeholders, including the United Nations, you know, among others, that have long been calling for a ceasefire uh, and allowing, you know, humanitarian passage uh, to ease the suffering of those that, you know, are affected. Uh, and, you know, the question of um, peace talks, you know, is an old one. It's 75 years old. Now, the good thing about this, you know, is that you have an actual proposal, you know, an actual, you know, proposal that says, guys, let's look at this particular, you know, few steps and hopefully gain, you know, international momentum. Right? Now, there's an, there's a, there's a pattern, you know, here. Israel doesn't have to agree to anything. Yeah. Uh, and they know that, I mean, you know, we've seen many evidence you know, of this at the United Nations Security Council. Anything that is, you know, said about Israel, the U.S. vetoes. Sure, sure. Uh, and, you know, it knows this. I mean, it knows that it's got the backing of the EU, you know, and so on. Not necessarily Europe, I said the yeah, EU. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, but so so it, it doesn't have to 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 agree to anything, and they know that they will still have backing anyway. And the fact that it's been you know a seventy-five year old you know challenge uh, makes it even harder because it means that for over seven decades, right, uh, the international community you know, and the global governance system has not been able to resolve this matter for that period. You know? Yeah. Uh, but but the fact that you have you know an actual proposal is a good thing because then it gives you know the international community something to work with, right? It's a starting point uh, to say if you know, for instance, others you know like-minded you know countries can can agree on the steps, you know, then there's something you know concrete you know to put forward, you know, there's something concrete 
you know, with which to engage Israel, Hamas, Palestine, uh, the US, the EU on the matter. So it's a step in the right direction because when you do not have, you know, anything at all, you know, merely rhetoric, um, it becomes difficult, you know, considering that this has been a 75 year old, you know, challenge that has not, that has gone unresolved. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, South Africa, among other African countries, has already previously launched a peace initiative on the conflict in Ukraine. What advantages do you think uh, make it possible for South Africa to claim a successful role as a peacemaker? Well, South Africa, for starters, has made it very clear you know, uh, of its uh, non-aligned you know, stance. You know, South Africa shies away, stays clear you know, of great power, competition and conflict, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, South Africa, you know, uh, draws from, you know, a long history, you know, of the non-aligned movement, right? Uh, and, you know, understanding, of course, you know, the geopolitics as, you know, uh, they have been, you know, uh, uh, you know, in this unipolar world, changing or not, you know, but it has been a unipolar world since the end of the Cold War. Now, it does not take you know particular sides, but you know but sticks to uh, uh, principles. It doesn't shy away from you know acknowledging you know who its friends are. That's for sure. But also you know uh, insists you know on the principles that um, determined you know collectively, well, determined not collectively though I might, I might add, but determined nonetheless. You know, in the processes that form the United Nations. I mean, we have a United Nations for a reason. That is why, for instance, you have a BRICS, you know, that continues to say that, you know, the United Nations should be at the center, you know, of the global governance system. Uh, you have the G20, you know, that has started saying this similar things. I suppose maybe the presence or the influence or the, the, the role, you know, of, um, blocks such as BRICS within the G20, but it takes, you know, uh, you know, the position that, you know, international rules, international law, you know, must apply, you know, equally across the board, regardless, you know, of, you know, power, right? Regardless of uh, the size of military, the size of economy and so on, but rules must apply, you know, to everybody equally. Uh, and more, more, even further, rules must be determined by everybody, Yeah. Um, so, so it, it, you know, for instance, I mean, it, it, in the case, in the case of, um, Palestine and, uh, and, uh, and Israel, South Africa acknowledges that, you know, Israel has a right to exist. However, it's an occupier, right? Its right to exist does not diminish, you know, Palestinian right to exist or Palestinian right to statehood, for instance. So instead of brothers taking size, you know, South Africa, you know, uh, uh, sticks to you know principle you know uh, and pushes rather for for uh, peace talks negotiation you know for a final settlement you know that can suit everybody no settlement in this instance will ever be perfect by the way it simply won't you know because once there was a palestine and then there was a palestine in israel yeah and uh, in your opinion what are the key obstacles the establishment of a nuclear free zone in the middle east could you speak on that? There's a region, and then, of course, you know, the individual, uh, um, you know, country national interests. So, you know, it, 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 it depends, you know, on, you know, individual country interests, uh, their ambition, you know, either for the region or, you know, their own global ambition. 
right, uh, as individual states. For instance, uh, if Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, for one, you know, were to want to start developing, you know, nuclear uh, uh, weapons, right, what would stop it, right? Uh, if if uh, um, UAE, you know, were to you know want to do, uh, you know, the same thing, what would stop it? Yeah, no, it, it it depends. It depends on on you know the extent uh, um, you know uh, to which you know all of the, well, the international community or the multilateral system can you know achieve uh, a, a decent amount of goodwill, you know, and persuade you know countries not to go that particular route. So it's it's a very di- it's a very difficult one. It's possible, yes. I mean, you have that you know similar the, the similar zones elsewhere, including Africa, of course. Um, you know, where you have you know, nuclear free you know spaces uh, it's possible definitely possible but it is also possible you know for some countries in the middle east to say that no we're not you're not going to be party to that why do some countries have them and others don't right i mean they would be thinking okay but we have to consider our own you know security we have to consider you know our protection of our own sovereignty you know uh, and agency over our affairs, you know, and um, you know, have you know uh, something to 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 deter, you know, a sort of deterrent, you know, to you know any attempt, you know, at subverting, you know, such rights to sovereignty, security, um, you know, and the protection of you know their national interests. So it's 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 not it's not easy. It's a noble. You know, idea. I mean, it once you know uh, gained you know a lot of traction, you know, in in, in previous decades. Um, but you know, uh, it could it could you know, uh, quite easily you know turn the other way around as well. Uh, in the current in the current uh, period we're in, it's a good move. It's a good move. It's very possible, but it is also difficult. Yeah, no, and there are many uh, moving parts, you know, in 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 such a, uh, a conversation, uh, in such an effort. It's possible, mm. mm-hmm. it's possible, but difficult. I mean, all of these ideas have to be negotiated, and all of the sensitivities that each country would have, you know, would have to be taken into 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 account, you know, in order to arrive, you know, at a, at a, at an agreement, you know, for such a, a nuclear free zone. Of course, of course. And uh, what about the potential consequences of Israel now supposedly having nuclear weapons? And what steps can be taken to address this issue? Because this obviously would be an obstacle to establishing a nuclear free zone in the Middle East. It would be. Look, you have you have the the the, the, the challenge, you know, in this in this uh, uh, instance. I mean, if for instance you would have. Some countries in the Middle East now saying, okay, fine, if Israel has them, we should have them also. Then you have, you start to have an arms race, you know, you start to have nuclear proliferation, proliferation, you know, you'll start to have instability, you know, in the region and no one wants that. So the idea behind a nuclear free zone is actually a good one and ought to be supported. Yeah, you know, for the security of everybody globally, because a crisis in the Middle East will most definitely impact everyone. And now the challenge, one of the challenges there is that you have an Israeli state that simply does not listen to anyone, right? Simply does not re- listen to anyone. I mean, has uh, ignored m- countless, you know, UN resolutions. Um, it's 
you know, only does, you know, what it wants, you know, with because it's got the backing of the United States, uh, the EU, and so on, you know. So it's difficult. It's a difficult, you know, uh, state to engage, you know, uh, you know, on this. Now, a state such a a state with that, a state with that kind of you know behavior historically, how likely or how easy would it really be to persuade to give up, you know, on one thing, you know, that it would argue, but hey, this is a deterrent, you know, why a tiny country, why a Jewish state, you know, we've got your you've got your Iran's your you know, uh, Yemen's and others, your know, Hezbollah and Hamas and, you know, all these others, you know, that want to, to, to end mm. us, right? So how do we, how do we give up, you know, on this one thing that, you know, is a deterrent or possible deterrent, you know, but clearly it doesn't seem to be much of a deterrent right now. We've got a conflict going on there, you know, and, uh, and, and tensions, you know, rising. So, so it's it's a it's a difficult proposition. It's a good one. It's a correct one, but it is difficult. You know, uh, it is difficult because it's you know it's been you know a major global challenge to 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 engage Israel over the last five years. For those of you that have just tuned in, I'm talking to Mikatekiso Kubai, a research fellow at the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation. And we're taking apart the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, specifically the issue of nuclear weapons in the Middle East. In South Africa's foreign minister's peace plan for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, one of the points mentioned was establishing a nuclear-free zone in the Middle East. Why is South Africa concerned with nuclear weapons at all? Let's find out. Look, South Africa is one of the key countries of the treaty on a nuclear weapon free zone, right? And moreover, South Africa is a country that has voluntarily and the only country, I believe, that has voluntarily renounced its nuclear weapons. In your opinion, how can South Africa's experience be useful for the creation of this now proposed nuclear free zone in that region, in the Middle East now? Well, uh, the example speaks for itself. Uh, South Africa interested, you know, in uh, uh, making sure that, um, you know, there's a, a, a less tension in the world, you know, uh, there are more prospects, you know, for peace, you know, more prospects, you know, for um, a refocus on development, you know chose that particular path that, you know, by, remember, you know, initially I said, you know, South Africa has um, adopted, you know, the long history of, um, long historical, you know, virtues, you know, of the land aligned movements, right? yeah. uh, the land aligned movement. And, you know, in so, in so doing, uh, subscribes, you know, to, to an agenda for peace, subscribes to an agenda for development. Uh, development for everybody, you know, equal opportunity for all states to develop, you know, and 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 so on. And you know, with things such as uh, nuclear weapons, uh, uh, you know, hovering over the heads of you know everybody, uh, that makes it you know a bit you know more difficult because then it brings the wrong kind of attention, you know, to your region. It brings the wrong kind of attention to your state. Yeah, you know, so people instead of focusing, you know, on uh, the issue of development, they focus on issues of security and not always, you know, in the positive way. Now it, it's better, you know, when you know everybody rather focuses, you know, on disarmament, you know, and 
development, you know, rather than conflict. I mean, the example is, you know, is there for itself. However, the situation of South Africa is not the same as that of uh, the Middle East, for instance. You know, those tensions are different. For instance, one would argue, who who was, you know, South Africa's uh, threat at the time, you know, of... um, of uh, you know the the adoption of this particular position you know for instance uh, uh, compared to to you know the sort of tensions that you have in the Middle East I mean there wasn't continentally you know there wasn't really you know uh, much you know of of um, you know uh, you know of, of that kind of threat that kind of threat from any state on the continent uh, I mean we've we just come from a long history of um, struggle for you know struggles against colonialism on the continent. Everyone, you know, was literally marching, you know, um, you know, be, 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 together, you know, towards, you know, independence, development, opportunity, and all of that, rather than, you know, conflict, you know, per se with each other. Except, of course, in the areas, you know, where boundaries, you know, for instance, would have split, you know, whole uh, tribes, you know, and you know, whole ethnic groups, you know. Uh, you know, split them, you know, into different countries, you know, because of arbitrary boundaries that were set up by Europeans, you know. But, you know, beyond that, you know, in terms of interests, you know, you had throughout the period of the organization, you know, the OAU, you know, the agenda, you know, was for political liberation. There was no particular you know, agenda of of conquest. You know, within the within the um, intra-African conquests. You know, for instance. You know, but in the Middle East, on the other hand, you know, you've had you know uh, simmering tensions for a very long time. You know, you have an Israel. You know that one does not listen to anybody and is always thinking, "Oh, look, you know, uh, there's an existential threat. You know, uh, coming out of you know uh, the neighbors. You know, uh, uh, and so on. and uh, it's it's very difficult, you know, in that in that in that sense. I mean, the 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 situation is 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 not quite yeah. the same. And what about the UN? How does the United Nations involvement in promoting peace in the Middle East affect the success of peace resolutions? Oh, before before that, in order to for 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 you know, uh, um, a, 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 a nuclear free zone, mm. for instance, to be successful there, there would first also have to be a peace you know, uh, between Israel and Palestine. Yeah. So as long as those tensions you know, uh, keep simmering, you know, uh, it would be difficult to achieve one. There has to be peace there. Yeah, so that everyone knows exactly where they stand, where their you know, authority begins and ends, uh, where their territory begins and ends, you know, and normal you know, uh, country relations established and that sort of thing. But the, but the, of course, the United Nations you know, uh, has been argued, you know, by BRICS uh, for 15 years uh, now, you know, and even now the, the G20 as well. Uh, the UN has to be at the center, you know, of leading this. I mean, isn't that the purpose of the United Nations? The United Nations was, you know, established to prevent, you know, in fact, such conflict and, you know, to, to lead, you know, in finding solutions to resolve such conflict. That is why the United Nations exists, except that the United Nations, you know, has you know, seen a very skewed power balance, you know, uh, in the global order. Uh, in fact, you know, such a skewed power balance has made it, you know, um, um, has hindered its efforts, you know, I would even argue, you know, in resolving many, amicably many, you know, uh, you know, challenges around the globe. 
uh, because we've got a block, we've got we've got you know an EU, uh, UK, uh, US that can simply veto you know uh, any progressive you know positions uh, by then the resolutions by the United Nations. Uh, for instance, and that has been the case. I mean, if a hegemon does not like, you know, the idea of losing, you know, hegemony in any part of the world, you know, even in the slightest bit, you know, and they've got to veto power, of course, they lose it. So that it's it's been it's been you know that kind of arrangement, you know, in the United Nations, states have not been equal there. You know, and others, you know, over the years, over the decades, have been arguing, but who funds the United Nations? Who you know, puts the most funds? You know, who uh, funds UN agencies, you know, the most? Who funds, you know, uh, the World Bank the most? Who funds the IMF, you know, the most? Uh, and things like that. So we've had, you know, an imperfect, you know, greatly unequal system there uh, that, you know, uh, um, you know uh, has rendered it, you know, uh, uh, insufficiently capacitated, you know, to achieve the aims that it was designed for, you know, I would argue. But of course, you know, it was established for a good reason. It was established for a purpose, you know, and it has to be strengthened, maybe reformed, you know, to be able to achieve such things. So, of course, the United Nations has to be at the center of this. I mean, you have you know, a whole host, you know, what, over, what, about 194 countries, members of the United Nations or so. Uh, and you've got, you know, um, you know, the most, what is it, uh, Potential, you know, for a democratic management, you know, of 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 this uh, situation, of this crisis, you know, than for instance, leaving it and say, okay, uh, this matter must be, you know, attended to by the U.S. and the EU, for instance, you know, or uh, by Middle East, the Middle Middle Eastern states, uh, and so on. If you do that, Israel won't listen to them. But if you have, you know, the EU and the US, you know, Middle Eastern countries might also not listen to them. Yeah. You know, so you want someone, you want, you want uh, an authority, you know, that can take, you know, uh, um, a non-aligned, you know, position, so to speak. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 you know, uh, or what would, you know, uh, determine uh, uh, to be neutral, a neutral position, you know, and negotiate, you know, based on principles you know agreed collectively agreed principles and rules of international law that is what you want you know you want you want a, a you know a, a neutral arbiter you know a, 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 you know a neutral negotiator you know facilitator of you know negotiations um you know who does not have a direct interest other than you know of course peace you know for the entire globe harmony you know, and, you know, of course, uh, a focus on development. Yeah. Obviously, most of the world's countries are interested in an early end to the conflicts in the Middle East. However, it is clear that this issue is particularly acute for Africa. You know, what is the risk of escalation and the spreading of the conflict for the countries of the continent from the point of view of security, economy, migration problems, perhaps, and so on? Israel does have you know, a significant footprint you know, on the African continent. However, recently Israel, you know, uh, Israeli representatives, you know, were, were escorted out, you know, of uh, the African Union premises, uh, and you know, are losing their observer status there, precisely because of these issues, you know, uh, Palestine, uh, occupation of Palestine, and the treatment of Palestinians, and so on and so forth. But any any turmoil, you know, in any region of the world, you know, when 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 
the globe you know is when the world is so globalized right we have we've had globalization for for quite some time now uh, economies are interrelated are interconnected trade you know is you know now vast and you know uh, diverse you know uh, interconnected you know so in any 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 the movement of people you know and so on any 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 crisis in any region of the world you know has the likely potential to impact you know uh, you know on other parts of the world right now usually you know the least developed developed parts of the world are the ones that tend to suffer more you know disproportionately more uh, for that matter right particularly you know over um, uh, uh, issues that you know they were not party to creating so if for instance you know there is to be you know maybe say a shock you know in global uh, global markets uh, resulting from a challenge you know in the in the uh, Palestine uh, Israel you know conflict suddenly what happens people with money withdraw from developing economies they pull out and you know but that impacts you know for instance developing economies so so you you have you have you know that kind the, the most vulnerable you know parts you know of the world the least developed parts of the world you know tend to be you know uh, more adversely affected you know disproportionately than others right than the developed the more developed parts of the world uh, so of course you know it's in, in africa's interest you know for um, this matter to be resolved as it is for everybody else in the world uh, for this matter to be to be to be to be resolved uh, it is not good for even in fact you know when this uh, challenge uh, 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 heightened tensions you know uh, last month uh, people were talking already about you know the impact of uh, higher oil prices higher you know prices of energy products for instance you know and the ripple effect that would have you know on prices of uh, goods you know and services you know, and therefore, you know, uh, um, affordability, employment issues, you know, and so on. You know, so, 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 of course, you know, it's in it's in Africa and everybody else's interest, you know, for this matter to be resolved and resolved speedily. But what we have not said so far in our conversation is, you know, the rights of Palestinians to, you know, be be seen and treated like fellow human beings. Now, of course, it has to end. This crisis has to end because Palestinians are dying, right? And they're dying in large numbers for things that they are not party to, right? For things that they have not done, for merely existing. They're dying there. You know, I mean, we see we see images of this every day. You know, we see it on social media. We see it on news networks. Uh, we see it every day happening, right? Um, you know, uh, 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 we see it. We see all of this, you know, uh, slaughter of innocent people um, who should be protected. You have a United Nations that's supposed to protect them too. Palestine is a member of the United Nations, but it doesn't seem to be getting, you know, the uh, the protection of the United Nations uh, right now. You know, in this, people are dying there. You know, every day. And 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 by the way, this crisis did not start in, in on the seventh of October. Uh, like I said earlier, it's you know seventy five years old. Yeah, you know? uh, and you can you know recall, for instance, uh, the killing of uh, the, the 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 journalist uh, Al Jazeera journalist Abu Akli. Yeah. Uh, you know the, the you know these bombings have been happening you know uh, throughout. You know, bombing here, bombing there. You know, police. You know, killing you know people here, killing people there. 
just that the numbers, of course, you know, were not as, you know, large as, you know, uh, an outright uh, um, you know, assault, uh, as we're seeing in uh, in Gaza. But they've been happening, you know, on a regular basis, you know, uh, in Palestine for a long time. Even just before the same week of, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the the October seven, you know, incident, there were still uh, such uh, such things happening. Now, if you say Hamas is in is in is in Gaza, how about the West Bank? Because there you have even you know non non military pe- you know pe- uh, pe- personnel, non military uh, civilians, uh, you know, they are Jewish from Israel, you know, uh, attacking you know Palestinians in the West Bank. Supported, of course, guarded, you know, by Israeli police and defense force, uh, and so on. So, you know, Palestinians also, you know, have a right, you know, to be treated, you know, like human beings. You know, their their lives also matter. You know, you know, apart from you know, you know, the the issue of statehood, but as human beings, you know, their own dignity, their own right to live, their own right to exist, you know, has also be has also got to be to be to be remembered here. Because at the end of the day, they're human beings, you know, just like all of us. You know. So you know, we can talk, you know, um, um, you know, a lot for a long time about you know uh, you know the politics, you know, but um, you know, the 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 reality of that little child, that little boy and that little girl in Gaza, you know. Is what matters right now. Yeah, no, that little child and that little girl have every right to live, have every right to exist, have every right to have you know shelter, you know infrastructure, and all of those things. Yeah, no, uh, and we're watching bloodshed every day, and seemingly without any you know power, you know, to do anything about. So all of these proposals are good proposals. They are affirmative proposals. Yeah, no, and and I think they should be engaged. You know, uh, seriously. Yeah, we've had you know well too much you know conflict you know in this in in this world. Uh, we 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 need not you know shift focus you know from development you know imperatives and uh, you know to you know, we we don't we don't need. In fact, I would even argue that the world can't afford conflict right now. If you're joining now, I am your host, Victor Anakin, and this is the Afroverdict Podcast. So welcome. Mr. Kubai here just gave us a picture of the humanitarian atrocities Israel is committing in Gaza and the West Bank. Now, while some countries are breaking diplomatic ties with Israel, other countries like the US remain silent on this issue. And these atrocities that you spoke about that are happening in the West Bank and Gaza, you know, the United States, they refuse to admit that Israel has committed war crimes. What impact do you think then does the political decisions of the United States in regards to the Middle East have on the prospects for peace in the region? They make it difficult. They make it difficult as they've made it difficult uh, over the last 75 years. Had the decisions of the United States been, you know, any different, uh, we might even have, you know, already reached a solution. <coughs> you know, I mean, you've got, you know, an argument that, but if you're an occupier, how can you claim self-defense? For instance, if you're an occupier, you have to guarantee the safety and security of those of those that you've occupied, not kill them, maim them. You know, um, you know. I mean, what international rules or rules-based order? We talk, the other day, um, uh, the EU 
no G7 sorry G7 foreign ministers you know released uh, a statement you know about um, you know their reaffirmation you know of uh, their position of um, 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 their position in support of you know, in promotion of uh, a rules based you know, global order right what are what are those rules does international law not already state that but hang on if you're an occupier uh, you can't be claiming self-defense. In fact, you have an obligation, you know, on the other hand, to provide security for those that you've occupied. Yeah, no. Uh, so, so whose rules? Which rules? Right? You know, are we talking about rules that apply to some and not others? Uh, you know, rules that apply to uh, different uh, regions or different economies or states? Uh, you know, uh, disproportionately uh, uh, to be determined by who? You know. Um, yeah. So, so you have you've had you, you have these 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 decisions, you know, that are busy that are taken uh, that impact on everybody, um, you know, uh, 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 making it very difficult, you know, to to you know to 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 to, to achieve you know um, a peaceful resolution uh, to to you know a lot of this conflict. Seventy five years, this conflict has been around. Seventy five years, probably a little longer actually. But 75 years, imagine that that number. It means that for a 75-year-old today, all his or her life, there's been this crisis throughout. Never been peace. And imagine a 75-year-old Palestinian who has never known peace you know, in his or her entire life. You know? 75 years. Because rule, I mean, resolu- UN resolution after UN resolution after UN resolution, all of them blatantly ignored. Yeah, and I find it very hypocritical. You know, the, the US, it uh, assumes this role of a global policeman. And by assuming that role, it portrays itself as a role model, but it's a very hypocritical role model because it tells states to do one thing, meanwhile it does the complete opposite. Well, look, you know, right now the world has been watching. It has been watching everything. It has been watching the Ukraine issue. It has been watching the Rohingya issue. It has been watching, you know, uh, the uh, Yemen issue. It has been watching, um, you know, uh, Palestine, Israel. Yeah, no, uh, you know, issue. It has been the world is watching. You know, I don't think you know that there's anyone uh, that believes anymore. You know that uh, I don't think that there are many anymore that believe. You know that um, the United States in some of these issues, you know, still you know uh, carries you know moral authority over everyone. You know, uh, everyone knows now. You know that you know it's not about right or wrong. It's about you know uh, interests. It's about who's got you know a bigger military. Um, it's about you know who has the potential to be a bully. You know over over, over others. You know, uh, if you if you have the world's largest military, uh, you have the the world's most uh, military bases everywhere in the world. In fact, you know, literally cycling everyone. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know that gives you you know quite a bit of an edge, you know, a powerful edge for that matter, uh, you know, and so on. So the issue of global policemen, I don't think anyone you know sees the United States as such anymore. No one wants mm, that, mm. but you know, everyone acknowledges you know uh, the military power of the United States, you know, and the economic power of the United States. You know, uh, they they you know essentially 
do what whatever they want you know, um, because they can. So it's not about you know right or wrong, uh, but simply because they can and do it. You know, if something is in their interest, that's what they will do. If it's not in the and they explicitly say so, by the way. They explicitly say so. They act solely on, in their interests. Yeah, thanks for clearing that up, Mr. Kobayi. What lessons do you think can be learned from previous peace efforts in other conflict zones, such as Northern Ireland or South Africa even, uh, that could be applied to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? The first thing, you know, we have to, uh, you know, all of us uh, uh, pay proper attention to um, is, 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 is the difference you know, between the differences between, you know, all of these conflict zones, all of these conflict By areas, all means. they are not the same, you know, they are all unique and they all require, you know, something that is uh, unique for that particular situation, you know, but, you know, what, 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 of course, you know, you're going to need, you know, would be uh, a facilitator of discussion, thus you have to have discussion, you know, first and foremost, you, you, you have to have discussion. You know, uh, sees you know uh, the slaughter of people, you know, and of for you know a conversation around the table. Now, all of uh, the you know the sensitivities, the interest of all parties, you know, have got to be considered. They've got to be listened to. Right? You can't avoid you know conflict. You know, without you know be, uh, be taking into account all of the the uh, uh, interests you know of uh, the, the the parties involved, right? Whether it be security, economic, and other interests. Uh, you have to, you know, take all of those uh, interests uh, on board. But then, of course, you need a facilitator that is, you know, um, uh, neutral. I mean, the proposal of the United Nations is actually even better. You know, that's, that's you know, uh, um, you know uh, because, I mean, who, who are going to trust, you know, to, to facilitate such a thing? I mean, the United States, of course not. Yeah, you know, they've made their position clear you know, over and over and over again. I mean, over the last 75 years, um, who are you going to trust, you know, for, for, you know, with this kind of thing? You know, of course, you have to have the United Nations on board. Even the idea, you know, of uh, a rapid, uh, um, you know, response, you know, uh, um, you know, force, you know, the UN, you know, uh, force, you know, in Gaza is also a good idea. Yeah. You know? uh, so that you don't have, you know, either side, you know, but, um, you know, be, be trampling on a ceasefire, on a potential ceasefire, uh, for instance, you know, to observe, you know, and make sure that everything, you know, stays, stays as agreed. Um, you know. so, so it, it, these are some of the things that, that, that ought to be considered, you know, uh, neglecting, neglecting interests. Yeah. Take, take, for instance, the Russia Ukraine issue. Right. One of the reasons we've got this conflict is simply because some uh, parties' interests, you know, were ignored, you know, but, and treated, you know, as if you know they are non-entities, uh, you know, and and so on. Right. I mean, the whole issue of NATO expansion, you know, for instance, and we all know that, you know, there are all sorts of you know military you know uh, positions encircling Russia, and it has been happening for a long time. You know, uh, for instance, so if you do not, if you do not take into account, you know, any party's interests, you know, it leads to conflict. You know, so you have to take everybody's, you know, uh, interests on board and then negotiate from there. You know, see, for you know, a peaceful resolution to to you know to challenges. Um, that is important. Yeah, you know, that is important. You can't treat you can't you can't treat a conflict situation with you know. Look, you know, I'm the bigger bully, 
Uh, I have, you know, uh, you know, a bigger army. I have a bigger economy. I have a bigger this, that, or the other. I mean, this crisis has been ongoing for 75 years, and for 75 years, there's been resistance, you know, to Israeli occupation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and people in that region are determined, you know, to keep resisting. <laughs> so, doesn't matter how many times you know Gaza gets bombed, but people are determined to continue resisting. It's only a matter of time, you know, if, you know, things get to a particular level, others, you know, might, you know, start joining in, you know, that conflict. And we don't want that. So it has to end. The ceasefire has to, has to, has to be, you know, brokered, you know, urgently. Um, it has to end. Yeah. You know, and start, you know, scaling back, you know, towards, you know, cessation of hostilities and, and, uh, look at uh, negotiating, you know, a final settlement because I mean, this thing has been going on for for way too long. Of course, of course. And uh, Mr. Kobay, lastly, to sort of conclude our conversation, you know, with Africa taking a more and more prominent role globally and receiving so much attention nowadays, what steps do you think should African countries take? to play an active and constructive role in resolving or contributing to the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and promoting peace in the region as a whole. There's an interesting development recently. The the group of 20 you know, have recognized you know, the, the importance and, uh, and relevance of uh, the African Union in global affairs. Uh, that's a positive, right? Uh, and uh, the the African Union can use you know such positions, such a, such a, a, a spaces you know to 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 advance you know its voice you know, to advance you know its a contribution you know to finding solutions not only to this uh, crisis but to others as well right? uh, because it has a vested interest you know in 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 finding a resolution in finding in finding you know a, a peace. South Africa, for one, you know, has just offered you know a proposal, right? It has offered a proposal that's African, you know, and and you know it, it you know the African Union, you know, could even lobby and rally behind it, you know, and support, you know, repeat the calls, you know, for 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 consideration of such proposals, you know, and use its influence, you know, to to you know to advocate, you know, for 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 such join the call. But, you know, it's also difficult because remember, not every African country, for instance, you know, has the same post. There are some African countries that, you know, have you know, more friendly relations, for instance, with Israel, you know, and have already from day one, you know, taken, you know, a side that we side, we stand with Israel, for instance. Yeah, no. Take Kenya, for instance. Yeah, no. And, and. You know, but it's difficult. But you know, but Africa, of course, you know, has a vested interest in finding a solution. You know, to 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 these uh, to these to these challenges, uh, and they can use the Africa can use its uh, uh, its standing, you know, in global affairs uh, to to advocate for 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 such increase, you know, by the noise, you know, for peace, you know, increase the calls. You know, for for you know, SSA, a ceasefire. All of the points you know, uh, you know that have been made, the uh, the urgent one, ceasefire, are uh, opening you know, um, uh, um, humanitarian uh, 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 path. You know, there and just those urgent things. You know, to to immediately uh, you know stop the suffering. You know, and the maiming. You know of people. Uh, so, so it, it, Africa definitely does have a role. Um, I do not know, you know, why it has not been as vocal, you know, but, um, you know, over the last month. Uh, I think it could have been, you know, a bit more vocal, 
but South Africa certainly has not been silent you know about it you know uh, neither has Egypt been silent about it so Egypt you know in South Africa uh, have been quite quite uh, involved you know been in uh, agitating you know for for you know for for a peaceful solution you know to all of them. in fact Egypt right recently had an issue with the you know by evacuating all of Gaza and putting them you know in Egyptian territory and so on and so forth they've been look you know but they've been concerned about their own security you know over that and they do not want you know their territory to be to be interfered with by by anybody you know and so on so clearly you know that was not a good sign for you know by Israel's Israel's proposal and so and so on but uh, but the ceasefire is in the interest of everybody and Africa definitely does have a role it's got a voice now it should use it yeah by all means by all means Mr Kubai thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight with us sharing your time it's a pleasure it's a pleasure my brother Mikatakiso Kubai, thank you, sir, for your academic insight on this truly complicated issue. It is such a tragedy to see actually innocent people's lives get destroyed in this conflict. What we can do, however, is emphasize the call for peace, the call for cessation of hostilities and for the end of bloodshed, for the end of death. African countries can, in fact, play a larger role, especially when united in regulating this issue or at least contributing to the peace process in some or other way. And we thank all the countries and organizations and individuals who have made an effort to provide humanitarian aid to the people in Gaza. Now, as we conclude this episode, it is clear that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict cannot be ignored or simply brushed aside for it is a tragic and complex situation that has long-standing roots and deep-seated grievances on both sides. But as we've heard from our guest, Mr. Mika- Mr. Mikatekisu Kubai, there is hope for peace and a future where Israelis and Palestinians can coexist in safety and prosperity. It will take commitment, it will take dialogue and difficult compromises, but it is possible. And in case you've missed a part of this podcast, feel free to rewind on popular podcasts and platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, CastBox, Pocket Casts, AfriPods, and of course, Podcast Addict. If you're more of a reader, then feel free to go to the Sputnik Africa website and enjoy the numerous articles we have there. However, for short digest, go ahead to our Sputnik Africa Telegram page, TikTok account, and other socials to get the juiciest information from across the globe. Our thoughts go out to all those affected by the recent violence and we hope for swift resolution to this ongoing conflict. Thank you for listening, everyone, and stay tuned for more updates on the story as it develops. Likewise, tomorrow we are commemorating Remembrance Day, a day dedicated to the deceased soldiers and civilians during the First World War. And tomorrow we'll be taking a closer look at the African theater during the First World War and how this colonial war impacted the development and the societies of African states. So stay tuned with your Afroverdic host, Victor Anakin, and I'll see you tomorrow. Afroverdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.